Hey, welcome back to the Road.TV Sermon Podcast, where today it's episode three in our series entitled Before and After. In today's episode, Before You Say I Quit, Pastor Rick talks about when couples think about divorce. He gives some simple advice from the Bible and real life, saying it's important to get help from your church family when things get tough. So grab a drink and listen up for some great advice on marriage from Pastor Rick. Good morning. If you are online, thank you for joining us today. Grab your Bible, your phone. Uh, We're going to start in the book of Malachi chapter 2. That's the last book in the Old Testament. If that will help you find it, go ahead and turn there. We're in our series called Before and After. And we've been trying to touch on every season of life. We started with our singles in a message called Before You Say I Do. really doesn't matter how old you are as a single. Uh, There's certain things that it's just much easier to make sure they're right before you're married. Uh, certain decisions you make before you're married that you enter the marriage with the most things in your favor. And then last week, Matthew preached a message called After You Say Idea, I Do about laying a spiritual foundation once you're married and continuing to pursue Jesus together. And today, uh, we're, we're in a message called Before You Say I Quit. And you go, wow, that's kind of weird for a church um, to be talking about quitting. But the truth is, if you've been married for any length of time at all, you've probably entertained the idea of quitting. Uh, You probably didn't say it, but you thought about it. And I was preaching this message Wednesday night, and I I looked across the auditorium. There was a woman out there. When I said that, you've entertained the idea of quitting, and she was going, no. No. And I meet with a group of men the next morning, and we were doing our our study together, and I mentioned that, and one of my guys in that group said, yeah, it was her husband who was going, yeah, yeah, I've thought about it. Uh, so, So if you're not the one thinking about it, you might be married to somebody thinking about it. Uh, for those of us who are trying to fight for our marriages, who are trying to honor God, trying to make it work, this message is for us. Some things to consider before you say, I quit. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much um, for the word of God, for the truth of God's word. God, may we do a good job of trying to understand it. Um, Father, may we uh, do a good job not only of understanding it, but Father, of applying it and living it out in our lives. And Father, for those who hurt today, God, may we never add to their hurt. Uh, Father, may we find good news in the gospel. Truth, Father, to comfort, Father, truth to guide. I I pray, Father, give us eyes to to see and ears to hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about, to begin with, that the Bible is pro-marriage. God is pro-marriage. Now, understand that because the Bible and God are pro-marriage, God's pro a lot of things. But people aren't always lining their lives up with God. God's pro-purity, right? Uh, But people will choose immorality and impurity in their life. Uh, God allows them that choice. God is pro-generosity. He wants us to live generously, but people choose selfishness. And so while God is pro-marriage, that doesn't mean people are pro-marriage. And so we, we live in this fallen world, and life becomes very, very difficult uh, to stay married. So what does the Bible say? Well, probably the, the verse about staying married that most people know is found in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 16, where the Bible says God hates divorce. 
And if you've grown up around church, you've heard that statement. You probably hadn't heard the context of that statement, but you've heard that statement. So I want you to go with me to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 15. We're going to read two verses, and we're going to try to understand what God was saying there. Verse 15, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Very specific set of circumstances. Look at verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not, there it is again, deal treacherously. So what, what's the context of these verses. Well, the context is a warning to Jewish men. Uh, the Jewish men uh, had become bored with their Jewish wives. And they were finding women of different cultures and different uh, religions to be somewhat appealing. And so they began to feed their selfish desires, lustful desires. And they were looking at good and godly Jewish wives. And they were saying to them, look, I'm going to put you out. The word literally means to let the woman go. I'm going to put you out so that I can fulfill what I want. I want these other women, other cultures, and God's saying, man, I hate divorce. But in this context, here's what God really hated. It was the abuse of good and godly women. The absolute abuse of good and godly women with no protection in their world for them and God, God calls that treacherous, treacherous. Um, then Malachi, he says, he says, God hates divorce. The question is why? Right, we've heard that our whole life. Why, why does God hate it? Is there something about the sin of divorce that makes it worse than every other sin out there? I mean, is it worse than murder? Is it worse than child abuse? Why is it that the church struggles so much with this sin of divorce? Is there just something about it that we don't understand? Well, I think if, you, if you'll think just a, a, a little bit deeper, you'll see that, that God, God hates divorce because of what it does to people. Not because it's worse than any other sin, but God hates divorce because God loves people. And here's the truth. Divorce is painful. Divorce is painful. Nobody, nobody comes out of a divorce unscathed. Nobody comes out unscathed. Issues of trust, horrible pain, right? What about kids who for the rest of their life look at their parents and think we did something wrong? Nobody comes out unscathed and God looks at this and he goes, I hate this. I hate this because I love you. Just like I hate what all sin does to people. All sin. I hate divorce because I love people. And what has happened in the church is the church has taken, in many cases, that statement that God hates divorce and they've applied it to people who've been divorced. And so I need you to hear today that God does not hate divorcees. Um. We, we have the tendency to brand people with a big old D. Um, 
that somehow that, that once they have gone through one of the most painful things anybody can go through in life, somehow they're a lesser spiritual person. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Right, if you look at the ministry of Jesus and, and who Jesus dealt with, and he dealt with, with people who were demon-possessed, and he dealt with people who were prostitutes, and he dealt with people who'd done everything you can imagine, and never once did he go, yeah, you can come into the kingdom, but you're going to be second tier. Never. Never once did he make someone less spiritually. And what I want you to hear today from a church perspective, at the time in life when people are going through one of the most painful things a human being can go through, what they need is to be loved. And what they need is to be ministered to. And what they don't need is to be pushed out of a body of believers. Are you with me? Is that, man, we go after them. We love them. We minister to them. There are two situations that the Bible gives permission for divorce. Uh, permission is not a have to, right? Because you can doesn't mean you should. Kind of let that stay in the back of your mind for a second. The first one is sexual immorality. Notice I didn't say adultery because, again, that's what you, your quick answer would be. If you have a newer version of Scripture and you read Matthew 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus, say, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Never is it can a woman divorce. Again, the Hebrew words are to put the woman out. Right? It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. Can a man divorce his wife for any reasons? And Jesus says, listen, I'm pro-marriage. I think a man and a woman ought to be, stay married their entire life. I'm pro-marriage. But Moses, for the hardness of your heart, gave the concession of divorce for immorality. Now, there are two words in the Greek language that can be used there. Jesus used the word pornea. We get our word pornography from it. And it's a wide, all-encompassing word that takes in all of sexual immorality. You could group pornography under that. Just to level the playing field a little bit. The word malexia is the Greek word for adultery. And Jesus could have used it if he wanted to narrow that focus to just adultery. But he didn't do that. He threw a wide blanket out there. And again, again, because you can do something doesn't mean you have to or you should do something. So there's the first uh, exception, a reason permitting divorce. The second one is an unbelieving mate who leaves. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, to the rest, I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called you to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you there's a lot in those verses. Neither I nor anyone else understands. So if you're going to run up here immediately after the service is over and go, tell me what that means, you're out of luck, Okay. I can tell you what it does mean, that God is so pro-marriage, he even wants the marriage of an unbeliever and a believer to work. Did you catch that? If you can stay, stay. Matter of fact, the only one who should leave is the unbelieving one. 
I want this to work. I want it to be good. And, and, and I would take it a step further and say this, that what that verse is telling us is we stay because we don't know when God may show up and do something amazing. I've got to tell you all a story. First service, a uh, woman comes down the aisle, and uh, she said, you probably don't remember me. She said, a few months ago, I came down the aisle, and I told you that my husband of 24 years walked out on me. And uh, I was mad, and she was. Just pray, pray that I don't just get consumed by the hurt and the anger. And we did. And, uh, but the truth is, it's one of the most painful things anybody goes through in life, right? Time passes. This morning, invitation starts, and here she comes. She's telling me this story, and she said, you know, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And she said, one night, I'm laying in bed, and I prayed, God, what do you want? What do you want? And she said, this is crazy, because I'm telling you, this week, my husband came home. And, and here's, here's what I want you to see. You don't know what God's going to do. You don't know when God's going to do it. God even wants the believer and the unbeliever to stay together, if at all possible. There's a phrase in Matthew 19 that's used that I just want to, because, because followers of Jesus need to hear this. It talks about the hardness of your heart. And, and here's what I would say, wrap this first section up with this. If your heart is hard, you'll find a reason to get a divorce if you want a divorce. If your heart is hard, for the hardness of men's heart, right? You'll create a reason, you'll see a reason, you'll make a reason up. If your heart is hard. So here's the first thing we learn. And, and before you say, I quit, make sure your heart's lined up with God's heart. Make sure you're at a place where you're looking at your relationship where, where you, you would say, man, I, I am lined up with God before I make this choice. First thing, before you say, I quit. Second thing, what, what about the issues that the Bible doesn't address? Okay, there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about, like abuse. What do I do if I'm married to an abusive person, uh, an addict, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, all, you name it, all the situations the Bible never addresses. And, and, and as ministers, we get these questions, right? What am I supposed to do? How do I handle this? And there's not a clear black and white verse on those things. So what do you tell people to do? So I'm going to give you a couple of guidelines, right? Here's the first one. Get out of a dangerous situation. If you are in a situation where you or your kids could possibly be hurt, get out. Get out as quickly as possible. Do not let a church guilt you into staying in a situation where somebody's going to get hurt. That's not God. Okay? Now you go, Pastor, I don't have anybody. I don't have any family. I don't know what, I don't have any money. I'm trapped. You have a spiritual family. And if you find yourself in that place, you show up to your spiritual family and say, listen, I'm afraid for me and my kids. I need help. And the second part of that is, I'm going to call them in this service. I'm going to call them. We have some spiritual warriors here. And those are described as men who I call spiritually violent men. Right? Um, so that old saying is that what keeps bad men at bay are good men who know how to be violent. There's some spiritual men who will protect you. There's some spiritual men who will protect your family if you're in a situation where you're afraid. You are part of a family. What does a family do? That's it. 
we take care of each other. We take care of each other. So let your church help you. The second thing is, once you make that decision, and I am not saying divorce, I'm saying get out. Big difference is that you look at whatever that situation is and you lay down very clear boundaries and they look like this. A good and a godly home has these characteristics and we'll be a family again when we are working toward those characteristics. Are you with me? Is these are the things we don't do and these are the things we do do. And we're going to make a plan and we're going to work that plan. When those things are true, we're family again. Until that time, we're apart. We're apart. I'll not put our family at risk. So you can live any way you want to live. Are you with me? Kind of. Yeah, sort of. I know. Churches don't talk about this. Churches don't talk about this. I had a lady that, that stopped me after the last service, and she said, for the last 20 years, I've been shamed by the church for something I couldn't control. God's not in the shaming business. He is not in the shaming business. He's in the good news business. So four things, four things uh, before we're done, uh, before you say I quit, that will help you, four practical truths. Number one, maximize your position as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, what does that mean? Well, as bluntly as I know how to put it, there's some things you get when you follow Jesus that everybody else doesn't have, right? Y'all are, are just like, well, what planet's he from? <laughs> there's some things you and I get as followers of Jesus that people who don't follow Jesus get. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Right, right? There's some things that we have as, as part of our life. So if you listen to this today and you go, I don't have those things, you need to meet Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. You, the things we're about to talk about are the product of a relationship where we follow Jesus. Here's the first one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you married any amount of time at all, you're going to have to forgive somebody. And they're going to be in that marriage. There are going to be big hurts and little hurts and big disappointments and little disappointments, right? And at some point, forgiveness is going to be required of you. And you're up a creek if you don't have anything to give. So watch this, principle of life, you cannot give what you do not have. You come to me today and you say, Pastor, I need some food. I'd say, man, I feel for you, but I don't have any food. I can't give you what I don't have. Does it hurt me to see it? Yes. Does it frustrate me to see it? Yes. Does it mean I don't care? No, I just don't have anything I can do. I don't have any food. Come to me and say, Pastor, I need some money. Man, I can feel for you. But I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give you. My hands are tied. It breaks my heart for what you're going through, but I don't have anything to give you. When you get to that point in your marriage where you need forgiveness and you don't have anything to give, you're up a creek because you can't give what you don't have. As a follower of Jesus, look right here at me. As a follower of Jesus, you've got this giant reservoir of forgiveness. You've been forgiven much. You can forgive much. So what do you do? You dip in that reservoir. As a matter of fact, I would be this bold. There's nothing as a follower of Jesus that you could encounter in a marriage that you can't dip into that reservoir of forgiveness and find enough to forgive in the life of your mate. That's how we survive. That's how we survive. Again, I'd remind you, you say, Pastor, that's not true in my life. You need to meet Jesus. Right? You can't forgive until you've been forgiven. Grace. Grace is another one of those things. The Bible repeats over and over. You freely receive, freely give, man. 
is you've received much grace, you give much grace. And there's going to be a time, listen to me, in your marriage where you're either going to need grace or you're going to need to give grace, one of the two. And I'm going to promise you, if you make that decision, you make that mistake where you're on the need side, you will cry out to God, please let there be some grace in this marriage. Please let her forgive me. Please let him forgive me. Please let there be grace enough to give me one more chance. And if you're on the other side of that equation, you want to have the grace to give. How do we have it? Same way. With this huge reservoir of grace. Because we've received much grace. This third one, oh, it's a really interesting one. This is the power of God. You say, well, that, that's kind of a churchy thing. There's a verse in Romans, chapter 8, verse 11, that tells us that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So how big a deal was it for Jesus to be raised from the dead? Okay, again, I feel like I'm on another planet. <laughs> how big a deal was it for Jesus to be raised from the dead? So in terms of miracles, is that a little bitty miracle? Is that a great big miracle? terms of power, little bitty power, great big power. Okay, wrap your mind around that. And then wrap your mind around this. The power that did the biggest thing that's ever been done lives in you. It lives in you. Watch this. That's the power to forgive the unforgivable. That's the power to hang on when everybody else says quit. That's the power to heal deep hurts. Are you with me? That the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Here, look at me, look at me, look at me. Tap it. Tap it. The craziest thing in the world that I don't understand is why wouldn't we use it? So it's like being a gazillionaire, right? You can't pay your light bill. Well, I don't touch that money. Yeah, money. No, I don't touch that money. That money stays over there. No. No. Write that check. Write that check. Number two, get help. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there's no guidance, the people fall but in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. I have tried to figure out a way because the last thing people ever do is ask for help about their marriage. And I was like, ah, I wrote down a couple of illustrations. None of them worked. This, you're going to be the first ones to hear this. There's two times in life when people ask for help. Two times. Number one, when the wheels are flying off. Help me. Right? Help me. Right? And it makes perfect sense that we ask them. But here's the other one, and this is where I want you to be. The other one is when I just want to get better. Why are you asking for help? Something wrong? No. I, I want my marriage to be better. Why wait until the wheels come fly, flying off to ask for help? Right? You need to do everything you can do for your marriage. You need to take every investment that you can, every conference you can, every seminar you can, every sermon series, every class you can take. You need to be doing it. Why? Because I want to get better at it. I want my marriage to be the best. I don't want to wait until the wheels fly off and go, okay, now we need to call somebody for help. Get help. Number three, realize our problems are in us, not around us. Uh, the human mind thinks this way. What I need is a new set of circumstances, and I'll be a new person. No, you'll be the same person in a new set of circumstances. Um, our problems are in us. They are not around us. And, and ending one relationship and starting another one just means you take 
the brokenness that you and I are into a new relationship. We deal with our brokenness. Matthew said this, this last week, start with you. Start with you. Don't just keep transferring the problem. Start with you. Number four, make sure you're, trying, you're not trying to justify yourself out of a hard situation. Okay, before you, met, you say I quit, make sure you're just not looking for a quick solution to a hard problem. I'm going to go fast here. We live in an age where the quick solution is the, the easiest thing we default, default to. We want the quick solution for everything, right? And when it comes to marriage, the quick solution is, I'm going to end this. I'm going to start with somebody else. Or I just want out of this. I just want out of this. And if you're saying, I'm just not happy, pastor, then don't say, I quit. Because I got news for you. If you're married, at some point, you ain't going to be happy. <laughs> you're not, it's going to be work. It's going to be work. <laughs> Y'all can't take it easy over there. <laughs> it's going to be hard. And at some point, you will only be in it because you made a covenant. Right? I promised God and I promised you. And I'm going to stay with it. Last point. One of them is in your notes. This one is not because I felt bad. Um, I preached this sermon Wednesday, and, and I, I got through, and I felt like, man, I, I left some people hanging. Um, I left the slim chance that if you'd gone through a divorce, that you would feel bad you were here today. And I just don't believe Jesus would do that. Um, then say, Pastor, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. The only thing you and I can do as human beings is start where we are. Uh, you say, man, if I'm honest, Pastor, my moral life has been horrible. I'm single. I've slept with everybody. Could God ever love me enough to give me a great marriage? And the answer is yes. Yes, he can. What do you do? You start where you are. You start today and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm going to follow him. And I trust him with my life. He said, Pastor, I've, I've been divorced a couple of times and I'm so confused about what a, a relationship looks like and don't know if I could ever have one. What do I do? You start where you are. Right where you are today. You start there and you start pursuing Jesus and you start following him and you let God unfold the rest of your life because we're going to talk about it next week. I promise you, he sees what you cannot see. You don't even know what's coming. Pastor, we've been divorced and remarried a couple of times. What do we do? You start where you are with your marriage. You start pursuing Jesus right there. Start growing in him. Start, start making him part of your everyday life. And the second thing and the last thing is the goal of all things spiritual. And I love this. The goal of everything spiritual is reconciliation. Right? So, so get this. The ministry of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. The Bible says it clearly so that we could be reconciled to God. And then Paul said this, I have given you, or God has given you the ministry of reconciliation, right? So we've been reconciled to God. Then we've been given the, the ministry to reconcile others to God. But then what's God's desire for your marriage? Well, it shouldn't surprise us if all things spiritual point toward reconciliation, that the goal of God's, goal, God's goal for marriage is reconciliation. What about your adult kids who you can't get along with? God's goal is reconciliation. 
What about friends you're at odds with? God's goal is reconciliation. You see that God, the spiritual goal of what Jesus has done for us is it so here we come full circle. I wish I'd thought of this earlier. So we can be in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. And that's what life is about. Would you bow your heads with me? I do not know what God may have said to you this morning. Um, I had people stop me today and tell me how the church had shamed them and made them feel horrible and hurt them. And if the church has hurt you, I'm sorry. I wish it hadn't happened. I'm going to tell you that Jesus wants you to follow him. And he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient and his forgiveness, well, it covers everything. It covers everything. Today, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I want to be one of those people who says, you know what? I don't want to wait till the wheels are flying off to get help. I want to come today and I want to say, listen, my marriage is good. I want it to be better. My marriage is strong. I want it to be stronger. I want to pray for my, my kids that are coming up. I want to pray for my adult kids' marriages because here's the truth. Eight years, eight years, average length of a marriage today. Unreal. Unreal. Nobody wants their kids to be part of that statistic. So what do we do? We pray. We pray, but we've got this stigma about tapping that spiritual resource, about writing that spiritual check, about tapping in to the power that is in us. The power of Jesus. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that you'd speak clearly, unmistakably. Father, I pray that we'd have the freedom, Father, to pursue you today in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.